0: All right, so for those of you who may were, that maybe you were here last week or you listened online, uh, I spoke about uh, from Hebrews chapter 12, I spoke about uh, God's unshakable kingdom, how we have received, are receiving, and at some point will utter, utterly receive uh, that unshakable kingdom at Christ's coming again. So regard, Yes, thank you, Lord. So regardless of whatever it is that we're experiencing in this world, the shaking comes in different shapes and sizes. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to have a confidence and assurance that we are citizens of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, as I said to you, uh, that was from a, a short passage in Hebrews chapter 12 and I think I may have said this to you last week, in Hebrews chapter 11, right, uh, there is a whole litany of little brief stories of uh, biblical heroes that were commended for uh, their faith. And so uh, I know I said this to you last week that the overarching theme of Hebrews is the idea of never giving up. And so these examples are set forward are put forward for us of people who dealt with shakings in their life but still had faith that God was in it, that God was going to do uh, something even in the midst of their difficult situations. And, and, and so we have their faith stories to serve as examples for us. So as I was looking at some things in chapter 12, I couldn't help but keep going back to chapter 11 and, and, and seeing some of those stories, rereading some of those stories. So this morning, I want to talk to you from one of those stories, and I'm calling what I want to share with you this morning, faith that hangs by a rope. Faith that hangs by a rope. You may have heard of the phrase, hanging by a thread. Anybody? this isn't that. This is faith that hangs by a rope. Now, there are certain people uh, that we know in our lives and we know them for their occupation. For example, let me give you an example. Um, For a number of years, there was a a man downtown here in an arcade that had a I don't know a, a barber shop salon type place and I knew him and maybe many of you knew him too as Joe the barber Anybody Okay so that's how I knew him Joe the barber I had no idea what his last name is in fact years later they moved into the house that's right over the hedgerow from the church here, and it was only then that I came to discover what his last name is, but I always knew him as Joe the Barber. We had a man who delivered uh, UPS to us for many years. His name was Rich. I knew him as Rich the UPS man. I had no idea what his last name is, right? Right? And I think we eventually got to know each other well enough that I, I couldn't tell you what it is right here, right now, but he did tell me his last name, and, and but I knew him for the most part as Rich the UPS man, right? I'm sure some of you have people in your lives that you may not even know what what, what their last name is, but you you know them by their occupation, what they do, and so... Uh, you you refer to them or you think of them uh, in that way. So I'm sure these folks, I'm sure Joe, uh, I think he's passed away now, but I'm sure Joe didn't mind being thought of as Joe the barber, and Rich probably doesn't mind being uh, uh, named in, in that way, Rich the UPS man. Um, <clears throat> uh it's usually not a problem unless your occupation is um, less desirable. Well, I'll put it that way. And such is the case with the person I would like to highlight their story this morning. In this faith-filled chapter of Hebrews chapter 11, we are reminded of faith stories that uh, uh, and particularly one that's found in Joshua, uh, a book in the Old Testament, and it's, it involves a woman that is known for her occupation. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, you will find this verse. By faith, Rahab... Nobody wants to say it. By faith, Rahab the prostitute because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now, I think it's one thing to think of Joe the Barber or Rich the UPS man, but I would guess that this this is a title or occupation that most people would not like to be known by. But in the very next book of the Bible, the book of James this same person is brought up again. Again, if you know the book of James, you know James is making a case for putting faith into action, for not just sitting on your faith, for not just talking about your faith, but putting your faith into action. And he brings this person up. In James chapter 2, verse 25, James now says, Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Twice in books that are dedicated to enlarging one's faith or enlarging our faith as we read them, Rahab's name and story are mentioned. And I want to ask uh, you the question, what what was it about her story that enabled her to, to be mentioned in the same breath as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? If you go back and you read chapter 11 of Hebrews, you've got all these uh, uh, heroes of The Bible, Abraham and Isaac, and down the list it goes, David and so forth and so on. But there in the midst of that is Rahab the prostitute. To totally comprehend her story, I need to give you just a bit of background. Last week I touched, uh, just briefly touched down at the point in Israel's sacred history where. Uh, God had gathered Moses and the people at the foot of Mount Sinai. And last week I said to you, they, they, they did not want to listen to the one that was speaking, right? They said, we don't, don't, don't have God talk to us. Moses, you talk to us. But we, 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 we don't want to deal with all the thunder and lightning and shaking and all that stuff. You be the one. Uh, To speak to us. And what you come to discover as you understand Israel's journey is that they weren't good. They weren't very good at all at listening to what God was speaking to them. And so because of that, they spent a 40 year period. uh, Now, we don't know that it's a literal 40 years. The Bible seems to use certain numbers in ways of of, of, of describing a significant period of time, forty years. It says they spent wandering; the people of God spent wandering in the wilderness, and 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 it was primarily goes back to their unwillingness to have the necessary faith and to and the necessary inkling of heart to listen to what God was saying to them. But now we come to the end of that period. Apparently, they had gleaned some things, learned some things, and God was now ready to have His people make their way from this wilderness moment and go into the promised land that He had been speaking to them about for years. A promised land called Canaan. Now, in preparation for this eventful moment, Joshua, who is now the leader in the absence of Moses, because Moses had passed away, we are told there in the first part of Joshua that Joshua sends two people into the city of Jericho to spy out the situation. The land and the people who lived there, the Canaanites, were not favorably disposed towards the people of Israel. Let me just say that in lamest terms. They didn't like the, the, the people of God. And they certainly did not operate under what we would now call a Judeo way of doing life. A Jewish way of going about life. <clears throat> the Canaanites were descendants of Noah's grandson, Canaan. They were made up of seven different tribes. I'm not going to try to name them all to you, but there were the Hittites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and four others. We are told that they worshipped the god of Baal. As you go through the Old Testament, many of the nations and and foreign places that weren't a part of Israel's sacred history, they found themselves worshipping Baal. And according to 2 Kings chapter 17, they did wicked things that provoked the Lord's anger. The walled city of Jericho was one of the premier cities of the Canaanites. It was a hub of trade. Uh, A lot of commerce took place in that particular region. It It was a gateway of sorts to their part of the world. And it's at this gateway, the city of Jericho stood. And what what we need to understand is that if if the people of God were going to truly enter into this land that God had promised them, it would necessitate that the city of Jericho be defeated. It would necessitate that in this opposition to one another, in this contrary way of life of one another, it would necessitate that the city would be defeated. I find it interesting that when Moses sent some people initially to spy out the promised land, he sent 12 spies. Remember that part of the story? He sent 12 guys out and they're going out there and they're checking out the land, the land of Canaan, and uh, they come back And if you know the story, 10 of them had a doom and gloom report. Only two of them, uh, Joshua and Caleb, right? They came back and said, we believe with God's grace and His help, we can take the land. I find it interesting, now that Joshua's in charge, he only sent two. You got it? We're going to spend, and I don't know if he measured them up before he sent them or he knew exactly who they were, but uh, I gotta believe that that uh, he sent two out to ch- survey things, so that when they came back, there was a uh, uh, there was a real good chance that they were going to bring a good report. I think Joshua had learned some things from his earlier experience of being part of the twelve. So we are told here in Joshua chapter two that the two spies go. And when they got to Jericho, it says here in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, someone might ask, why would they do that? Didn't they know what whose house they were going to? After I did some little bit of background on this, I, I found out that a good case can be made. That Rahab actually ran an inn that was located uh, directly adjacent to one of the gateways or one of the gates that led into the city. Now we will never know that. It's educated conjecture that she ran a uh, uh, ran an inn and and you know some other did some other things there. Um, uh, but I do want to say I don't think that these two men, these two spies that went to check out Jericho, I don't think they uh, uh, intentionally went to the house of a prostitute for nefarious reasons. Are are we all good with that? Like, hello? Okay, Uh, they weren't going there because of maybe some activity that happened there. I also believe... That the reason God gives us the details He does of Rahab's occupation is for us to see and understand that God can use anyone, anyone, for His plans and purposes. As this story about Rahab unfolds, we come to discover that somehow the king of Jericho finds out that these two these two Jewish spies are there in his city, and apparently knew that they were uh, they had landed at Rahab's house, and so he sends a he dispatches some of his detail to go and find them, and indeed they go to Rahab's house and demand that she coughs up the intruders, give us the men that are here spying on us, but. Rahab had gotten a heads up about all this and had already hidden the two men on the roof of her place under stalks of flax. i got a picture here of what that, you know, these are stalks of flax here, and you can easily see how, you know, some, a body, if you will, could, could be out of sight underneath some of these stalks of flax The story goes forward and says she fabricates, that's another word for lying. she fabricates a story to the king's detail about not knowing who they were or where they had went. But she encourages them to kind of get out of here quickly and maybe they can catch up to them. And lo and behold, uh, they actually put some stock in her word and take off. As night arrives, we're told Rahab goes up to the roof where these men are hiding underneath the stalks of flax. She goes up to the roof to have a talk with the two men of Israel. And in Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, this is what we read. Listen, this is Rahab speaking now. I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live here in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard about how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea and, uh, for you, and when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og and the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Somehow, somehow, Rahab had had some type of encounter with God. When I read this, right, there is an acknowledgement here of some, some God stuff. Somehow she had come to discover, and I believe in light of what she did, she had come to discover and put her trust in the one and only true God of these Israelites. You don't do what she just did without having some faith. One might say, but she lied. Yes, she did. There is no way you can can say it any other way. But may I also say to you that she stepped out in faith to be a part of what God was doing in that moment. She put forth a faith that risked losing her own life if she was found out to be doing what she was doing. And I might add, and I might add that these two uh, men from Israel seemingly had no problem hiding under stalks of flax and going along with the ruse. Have you got it? They didn't say, oh, no, we're not hiding under stalks of flax," Or, oh, no, don't, you know, don't, uh, whatever you do, don't tell them we're not here, right? I mean, you hide under stalks of flax to try to avoid being captured, right? And that's the whole point. A faith that was willing to lose her own life. I thought about this story a little bit, and I, I thought about her being a forerunner to Corey Temboom you know that story about Corey Ten Boom about how what was the name of their, the that was the name of the the hiding place? Thank you, um, Corey Ten Boom. During World War II, hid Jewish people uh, there in in, in in a particular area that was uh, you know hostile towards Jewish people, and uh, they I was reading about it this week. She had they had a room. In, in this place they were at there, they had a room that held six people at a time. Only six. Six, six adult people at a time. And uh, uh, they had a, some kind of bell system that when they knew that there was danger approaching, they would ring this bell and all the the people that she was helping would go into this hidden hidden area there uh, and, and, you know, avoid... Uh, capture at that moment. I think I read that she had helped hundreds of Jewish people, uh, you know, not end up in the gas chamber uh, as the war unfolded. So, anyways, I was just thinking about uh, Rahab being kind of an early version of Cory Tembu. <clears throat> I find it interesting that in this these verses that we just read here, that Rahab speaks of the moment when God spoke parting the Red Sea. Remember I said to you last week that this miracle that God did was one of those things that left, left a lasting impression. You know, like to take waters and move them back. And it specifically says not only about the Red Sea but about the Jordan that they crossed over, that the ground was actually dry that they walked across on. Apparently, word of that happening had reached the ears of Rahab and the people of Jericho, the parting of the Red Sea. I kind of think of it this way, that when she heard about that, when Rahab heard about that, uh, she actually started to listen to the one who was speaking. Did you get that? When she heard about what happened at the Red Sea, it feels to me like when I read what she says here to these men, something started to change in her. Something started to become open that maybe the God of the Hebrews is actually the God of heaven and of earth. Her conversation continues with the two men on the roof, and she asks them to show kindness to her and her family because of the kindness she has shown to them. That when God, when the when God is about to bring his judgment upon Jericho, that she and her family might be spared. The spies assure her that because of what she has done, because she acted in faith, she and her family will be treated kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives them the land. To ensure that there would be no confusion about this or mix-up concerning where she lived, um, they tell her to tie a scarlet cord, a rope if you will, tie a scarlet cord on the window that they're about to escape from tie a scarlet cord to hang out her window. I've got the color scarlet here for you right there it is I just pulled this offline uh, it's a it's also referred to as crimson red but it but we would look at it and say it, it has a whole a whole lot it looks a whole lot like the red color of blood agreed it's like a blood. Red. Uh, and when I thought about this cord that is hanging out her window, I, I, I immediately two things came to my mind. Number one, I began to think about how when God was about to deliver the people uh, in bondage in Egypt, in order to prevent the death angel from killing their firstborn, they had to take blood and put it over the doorposts of their heart, right? So I immediately, I, I don't know, that whole blood red thing started coming back to me. But the other thing I, I thought about, and it's kind of looking at this thing from two different angles. The second thing I thought about is that Rahab uh, knew about a, a Bible verse in Isaiah 118 that was written well after uh, Rahab's story, but she already knew about it. I I thought of this verse, though your sins are like scarlet, thinking of Rahab's sins, though your your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. And though they are uh, red as crimson, they shall be like white wool. I think of the scarlet colored cord, I, I believe it speaks of the work that God was doing in Rahab's life. And so we come to this kind of concluding moment where Joshua in 2.15, it says, it says, so she let them down by a rope through the window. This isn't the scarlet rope right now. This is just a rope. She let them down by a rope through the window for her house she lived in was part of the city wall. The two spies, it tells us after evading the king's detail for a few days, end up reporting back to Joshua in chapter 2, verse 24. They tell him, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. They had brought back a good report. But let us not forget that their ability to bring back a good report was largely due to the actions of Rahab. It largely had to do with Rahab's faith that allowed these two reporters, if you will, to come back and give information to Joshua concerning what what was going on in Canaan. After Joshua hears the good report, plans are set in motion to begin entering the promised land of Canaan. Upon reaching the Jordan River, which served as the eastern boundary of Canaan, God speaks again, the water stops flowing, similar to the Red Sea moment, the people cross over into the promised land on dry ground. What God had done for them in regards to the Red Sea, he was doing again. And now, the people find themselves at Jericho. It tells us what the situation was in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho, Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went in and no one went out. Let me explain to you what that's saying. It means, remember this fear that they talked about? They had, they had barred the city in such a way that no one was going, they weren't letting any of its residents go out, and they weren't letting anyone from the outside coming in. It was, they had closed up shop to try to protect themselves for, I've got a picture here of a walled city uh, right there. Uh, now, I picked this one particularly because I want you to see in the upper right-hand corner, do you see those windows? Okay, keep that in mind, okay? Keep that uh, in vision, keep that in mind. But the whole point of these walls around city was for their defense, to keep them from being able to be run over at least uh, quickly. So God then gives Joshua a strategy for defeating this fortified city, for defeating, for for being able to conquer uh, this gateway city on their way in to the promised land. And, And the strategy went something like this. Think about this for a second. He says, we're going to take seven priests with seven trumpets, little cornet guys. We're going to put them out there. We're going to take the Ark of the Covenant and in front of these priests with the trumpets in the Ark of the Covenant, we're going to put uh, some armed guards out in front, some soldiers, if you will, out in front then we're going to have the priest. We're going to have the Ark of the Covenant, and then in at the rear at the rear end, we're going to put some more uh, military people. And here's what we're going to do: for the next six days, we are going to march around the walls of this city one time each day. We're going to march around the walls of this city, and uh, and people are not to say a word. Say, what's what's you talking. Say, so, tell the people to be quiet. Don't say anything, right? This is what we're going to do. We're going to march around the city. Then on the seventh day, we're going to, same people, same detail, same thing. We're going to march around the city, not once, but seven times. We're going to march around it on the seventh day. And on the last time around, after we've done that, we are going to pause. The priests are going to blow their horns and the people are going to give up a shout. I don't know what, I'm not sure what they would be saying, but they're, they're uh, maybe hallelujah, I don't know. But they're going to give up a shout. It's not going to be quiet anymore. We're going to get loud. Right? Now, I don't know about you, but... This does not sound like an overly effective military strategy for conquering your giants, yeah? for defeating the, the foe that stands in front of you. A little marching, a little blowing, a little marching, some more blowing. So no, no stay quiet. And then, and then, oh, now we're going to yell nice and loud. I don't know. It just doesn't sound to me like it would work. But, in Joshua 6.20, it says, when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. Hallelujah, that's right. God spoke Because they were obedient, hello, because they were obedient to do, to not refuse the one who was speaking, because they did what God had called them to do, God spoke, and he spoke this time in the form of a shaking that would cause these walls to come falling down. God was on the move, bringing something new into play. Now, if you have ever seen a, an artist's rendition of this, of uh, people, you know, people who t- try to take the stories of the Bible and they put it into art form, right? Uh, most of the time, you will see all the walls crumbled and laying on the ground. That's how they they render it. I think of when I was a kid going through Sunday school, we sang a song and uh, it was the title of the song was Joshua Fought the Battle at Jericho. Joshua fought the battle at Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle at Jericho and the walls came a-tumbling down. Now, when we used to do that in Sunday school, all the children that were singing had to go down. And the walls came tumbling down. Right? You had to get down. All the kids had to get down. One kid didn't get to stand there. All the kids. Because all the walls, we thought, came down. But I'm here to tell you this morning that not all the walls came down. They all didn't come down. You know why? I read it to you earlier. Let me read it to you again. So she let them down by a rope through the window. For her house she lived in was part of the city wall. There was a section of that wall. That didn't fall down. I have a picture for you here. This is from some archaeologists. This is the actual uh, their rendition of um, you know uncovering the wall at Jericho, and there is a section of that wall. I, I am not here to tell you, and neither are they, that this is where Rahab lived. But there is a section of the wall that isn't all crumbled down. And I tell you this story because it was Rahab's faith. It was Rahab trying to, in in her infant understanding of who the God of Israel was, she knew this God was powerful enough to part the Red Sea. She knew, she had heard that, right? She's like, I've heard that your God Separated water—that's a pretty big deal, right? I don't know. And can any of you separate water? I mean, like you know, go up the Lake Erie right now and say, uh, "Let's move that back so that people can walk across to Canada." She had heard that, and in her infant faith, she put that faith into action, and 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 and, and in so doing. God, God preserved Rahab and her family. That's amazing to me. I, 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 it's why she makes it in to Hebrews chapter 11. It's why James talks about her as a woman who acted in faith. The walls came tumbling down except for Rahab's section of the wall. God is true to his promises. Never forget that. From our story of, from our story of Rahab's faith, we know that, first of all, uh, she had a well-founded faith. It was a well-founded faith. It was a, it was a good faith. Place to put her faith. She believed that Israel's God was the one and only true God. She had a well founded faith. We also know that she had an active faith. She put her faith into action by welcoming the spies, hiding the spies, putting down a rope that enabled them to find their way to to freedom, and then hanging a scarlet cord out of her window. That all takes action, right? That all takes movement. She just didn't say, well, I guess I believe in the the God who parted the Red Sea. The end. She actually took what what she knew was true and put it into action. And then finally, from her story, we see that not only did she have a well-grounded faith, an active faith, but she had an unshaken faith. Because of her faith, she and her family were spared when God's judgment shook the walls of Jericho. Even more amazing than that, the Bible tells us she went on to live the rest of her life with the people of Israel. And not only do did we, did we come to find that out, we find out that she actually makes it in her life and her name makes it into the lineage of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. And not only that, if that weren't enough, she made it into the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 alongside the likes of other heroes of our faith. I want to say, that's not bad for a person known as having a less than stellar occupation. I say all that, I tell you her story afresh today because that's the same kind of faith We should be aspiring towards. Not not that we're perfect. Not that we don't have stuff in our lives that God needs to continue to take care of for us. But we should be walking forward with a well founded faith. You should be here this morning not questioning who God is who the one and only true God is. A well-founded faith. An active faith. And a faith that is unshaken. I close with this thought. May God see the scarlet cord hanging outside the window of our heart. And may we know that regardless of what shaking, hap- shakens, shaking happens around us, regardless of how God goes about judging the nations, that our true abode, that our true dwelling place will be left standing. My friends, that is what I'm calling this morning a faith that hangs by a rope. We're not hanging by a thread. Oh, I'm just hanging on. I'm trying to make it. No, we're, we're, we're talking about rope kind of faith that's made up of many threads but are entwined together into a faith that is strong. A faith that knows who God is and knows that He's worth uh, engaging our lives in whatever it is He's calling us to do. A faith that when the earth starts to shake beneath our feet. And I'm looking around the room here this morning, even though we're half in number, I'm looking around the room and I'm saying, some of you have been dealing with stuff that will that, that is shaking the very foundations of your life. And I'm saying to you, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you this morning, please, please, please know that whenever God is shaking things, He has also given you a rock to firmly plant your feet on so that you don't end up tumbling down Stand, if you will, and we'll pray this morning. Faith that hangs by a rope. Lord, we thank you for these numerous stories we have in your word where people who are dealing with... uh, uh, some shakings that, that 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 we're a little bit unfamiliar with, Lord, big big time things. Uh we have our personal things, we have our family things, we have our national things, but these people say were leaving uh the familiar place that they had come come to know for 40 years and going and venturing into a place that they knew not, Lord. They, were, they had to uh, deal with some big deal, big issues, Lord. And I just thank you, God, that for everything that we come up against, whether personally or culturally or whatever, Lord, for whatever thing that we, whatever stands in our way, Lord, you are you are going before us. You have you have a strategy. You have a plan. You have a you have an idea. You have a a, a, a purpose, Lord. That that. Uh, that, we, that we're watching unfold before our very eyes. Uh, even what's going on over there in the Middle East right now, Lord. There's You're up to something. You are up to something, God. And we could be biting our fingernails, wondering, Lord, but, but may we have that kind of faith, a Rahab-type faith, Lord, that is well-founded. Like, like we, we get it, we understand, we know it in our knower, Lord, that, that you are who you are, Lord, and you will, you will not be defeated, Lord. That we would have that kind of faith, Lord, that steps out and, and does things that you're calling us to do, Lord. That we would have the kind of faith that, that, that says, when we feel the ground moving beneath our feet, Lord, we're, we're, we're not gonna let it move us. It's not we're not gonna let it move our our insides. We're gonna, we're gonna grab on to the rope, Lord. We're gonna, we're gonna hold on tight and believe that when the when the shaken has come and gone, Lord, we'll still be left standing. Whether it's here on this side of heaven or in heaven, we're still left standing. That kind of faith. A faith to believe, Lord in the midst of the shaking. We have received, we are receiving, and we will at one time, Lord, be in full uh, receipt of your unshakable kingdom. And may we live, may we live in such a way that we actually believe that. We believe it. We're not just saying it, we believe it. And we are unmovable in our faith. Lord, thank you for this woman. Thank you for her uh, story. Uh, it's amazing how you use us, Lord, people, ordinary people, that have done stuff in our lives that maybe uh, others would turn their back on us. Lord, you, uh, you see, you have a way of of using even that, Lord, to get done what you're going to do. So I pray that you, we would, we would we would go into Monday this week and into Tuesday this week with uh, a, a Rahab kind of faith, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.